0: So I ended up, this is 1988 I think, I ended up in the jungles of Honduras in the middle of the night doing a border crossing between a government controlled area and a guerrilla controlled area. Oh and God. ended up face to face with about a 13 or 14 year old kid with a machine gun yelling at me, asking for my papers. Somebody helped me translate a little. I ended up giving him my visa. He trying to be a badass and look big in front of all his buddies. He takes it, he wads it up, puts it in his mouth and eats it. And I'm thinking, uh, is this the end tonight?
1: From Gany Media, it's Fear is a Liar. A show about rising and established professionals and entrepreneurs. All the fears they face related to risk, self-doubt, failure, unknowns, and much more. We take a deep dive into what didn't work and how they dealt with it. I'm Ronnie Ghani, and on today's show, we hear how Chris Gillen went from valeting cars to becoming a mentor and VP at the Capital Factory, one of the most active startup investors in the state of Texas. They say that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. On today's show, we'll follow Chris Gillen's journey, which spans across the world and includes everything from balaying cars to launching and selling his own software development company. Today, he serves as the Senior VP of Corporate Innovation at the Capital Factory, where he helps aspiring entrepreneurs accelerate their startup businesses by providing them with access to investors, mentors, and the thriving business community. But first, we'll follow Chris's story back to the beginning, where he decides to take a hiatus from college to pursue a risky adventure. Equipped with $800 in his pocket and a curious nature, he treks across South America with little understanding of the language and a strong desire to discover the unknown. In this episode, we'll hear how Chris navigated pressure, uncertainty, and many of his ultimate fears along the way.
0: Born and raised in Houston. Spent most of my childhood in Houston. There were about four or five years where we bounced around the Midwest a little bit. My father was a sales guy. And uh, so we went where the opportunities were was not a great student. Um, I had ADD, I didn't know that at the time, but I look back and and I think, wow, all of the challenges that I saw my own son having with ADD, having been labeled that i thought wow i went through all that without knowing what it was about you know i just thought i was stupid and lazy and Mm. and uh and and it was really a struggle uh particularly academically really a struggle uh but did did end up in college and uh and studied at university of houston for a couple of years studied architecture and ultimately um, started and then went back to texas state university to study uh, economic geography and and uh, international business
1: what drew you to globetrotting and economic geography? I
0: just have this vision of wanting to know what's around the next corner, mm. wanting to know what's what's in the next neighborhood. When I was a kid, I would get on my bike and ride for miles and miles and miles because I just wanted to see what was next. And so once I became more mobile, right, then I'm doing it in on motorcycles and in cars and then on airplanes. Mm. And... I had this opportunity when I took a little break in college. A friend of mine and I had this idea. We were going to travel from Tierra del Fuego, the tip of South America, back to Houston using only public transportation and sleeping in bars, putting hammocks up in bars, because back in that day I read in travel books you could do that and you help clean up the bar at night and they'll let you sleep there. And we were gonna write a book about our experiences. We were gonna call it the Pan American Pub Crawl. Nice. At the last second, he backed out and took a, a a gig doing something else for short term. But I'd been preparing for this trip for quite some time and I decided, well, I had a challenge because I didn't speak Spanish. He was the Spanish speaker. But I still wanted to go do something, so I'm going to go, I'm going to do, I'm going to experience. And so I went to Belize for three months, because that was my home base. I spoke. They spoke English yeah. in Belize, and then uh, I found this little island off the coast of Belize that became my base, and then I take these week-long trips to different places From in South America. So I experienced Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and whenever I got frustrated with the language barrier, mainly, I'd go back to Belize and hang out for a few days and drink beer and eat lobster, and then do it all over again.
1: <laughs> so wait, so how old are you at this point? You're you're. I'm uh, I'm probably 21 years old. So uh, mid to late 80s. Yeah. In the late '80s, so how, where'd you get the money from to 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 start yeah. doing this and, and and the drive? I had a I had a job parking cars,
0: um, which which I think we're going to talk about in a little bit as well. But so I just I saved up money, and to me it seemed like a ton of money. It was eight hundred dollars I lived on for three months.
1: <laughs> But what, but what did your what did you're in college at the time, you took a little break, you took like a year off? Yeah, I took a semester off. Okay. What about friends, family the, the
0: university suggested I take a semester
1: off. Oh they did? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think I've told my mom that yet. But they but it worked out. <laughs> yes. And um, what about friends, family, others, you know, that are close to you that see that you're taking this journey and, and yeah. obviously maybe getting in the way or making suggestions? Most thought I was I was nuts. Yeah. My mother, however strongly
0: encouraged it. Interesting. Because she's a very exciting spirit. She's a journalist. She loves to to not only go see the unknown, but document the unknown. And she saw this as a way for me to to catch that bug or feed that bug that's already living inside me. So did you guys travel a lot when you were younger? Or this was you just- You know, not really. Um, okay. I grew up single mom, always struggling financially. But that trip to Belize, other than a border town, was was my first experience outside of the country. And I think I've traveled to 49 countries today.
1: Wow. So tell me something, some of the challenging times you had when hopping around from Belize to all these places. I mean, you don't have experience. You're young. You don't have money. You don't have guidance. And you mostly don't speak the language at most of these places you're showing up at. Right. And this is pre-internet. So yeah. there was
0: no smartphone and a map to get where Google, you have. Yeah. I, had, I had three travel books. And you're on your own. And I'm on my own. I went totally by myself, and that's how I got around. So I learned enough Spanish to be able to get food, get a hamburger, get a beer, get water, get into a hotel room. And I could say, will you please hand me that blue bag? I had a blue backpack. And that's about all I knew. So struggles, I, had that, I, I really had one scary experience. I felt like, ooh, I have stepped into something where I've really put myself in danger here. So I was in Honduras. I was heading back towards Belize, and I was so tired, I was waiting for the express bus to come pick me up, and I fell asleep against my backpack, kind of laying on the floor of this restaurant-slash-bus stop. And somebody kicked me and said, your bus is here. And I got up, and I ran onto the bus, I asked a quick question, is this bus going to, to Belize? I forget the city on the border. And they said yes, and I got on the bus. But it was the wrong bus. It was not the express bus, it was the local bus. So instead of a four hour journey, it's a 12 hour journey. So I ended up, this is 1988 I think, I ended up in the jungles of Honduras in the middle of the night, doing a border crossing between a government controlled area and a guerrilla controlled area and ended up face to face with about a 13 or 14 year old kid Mm. with a machine gun yelling at me asking for my papers somebody helped me translate a little i ended up giving him my visa he's trying to be a badass and look big in front of all his buddies he takes it he wads it up puts it in his mouth and eats it And I'm thinking, uh, is this the end tonight? Did I just really make this mistake when I put myself in this this place? How'd you feel emotionally? Oh, I was scared to death. I was shaking. And just had to realize that, man, you know, this too shall pass. That's something I've said to myself since I was a child and just try to relax and breathe. And luckily his buddy stepped in and pulled him away and they ended up putting me back on the bus and I, and I continued. But what I had to do, that was right in the middle of my trip. I immediately wanted to go home. Of right? course. Yeah. Revert back. Couldn't, couldn't let myself do that because I knew that would be the end of my world traveling right there. If I went home scared, I had to make myself get on a bus you know, the next week and go to Nicaragua and try to, you know, keep my journey going. And um, and it's part of what I call walking through fear, right? I was afraid. but I know if I get on that bus and I go do this, by the end of the day, I'm gonna be in some cool hotel bar, drinking a beer, I'm gonna look back and just laugh and say that fear just was not real. I just you have to make yourself step through it.
1: Where did you get that intuition at such a young age after going through what I would say is kind of a traumatic experience in your life? I mean, the kid could have shot you and it wouldn't it would have just been another evening for him.
0: Right. And I disappear. Nobody knew where I was.
1: Yeah. They probably would never even find they out. They
0: knew I was on the continent. Nobody knew I was even
1: in the country. Safely home. Chris's nine to five job is valeting cars. But when a position opens up in company's management, he takes the opportunity to become something more. With no leadership experience, he finds himself suddenly in charge of 300 people and constantly facing madness. Especially when a car gets stolen on his first day on as manager. He quickly learns how to pivot through negativity and use adversity as a catapult toward greater success. That's coming up. Stay with us. I'm Brian Gowney, and you're listening to Fear is a Liar from Gowney Media. So then how does that then transition into you uh, getting back into college, uh, graduating, and starting as a executive vice president at Jack Bowles? Yeah,
0: so... Jack Bowles is actually the valet parking company that I worked for. (laughs) Okay. Largest, at the time, largest valet parking limousine company in the state of Texas. They had uh, contracts at all of the ritziest hotels in the state. So I'm coming out of school, and actually I didn't graduate. I decided I was finished. Mm. And I had worked for them for summers and while I was living in Houston going to University of Houston, the the gentleman that I had worked for was leaving the company. He was the current executive vice president and he knew I was coming back to town and and the only one he thought was capable of kind of handing the reins to. So he convinced the owner of the company to give me a chance and I I stepped into this position and I I was managing 300 people. The original setup was they were all – I had 300 direct reports. And these are valet parkers, so imagine what could possibly go wrong on a daily basis. Oh
1: my god, but, but but weren't you wasn't your last position actually parking the cars? Uh technically, yes. So <laughs> so
0: how did that- I had I had a job in the interim where I where I did an internship for an environmental management company in Beaumont, Texas. And uh And created a new product line for him of doing environmental property assessments and convinced that gentleman to let me open an office up in San Marcos where I was going to school. Mm. And so I was doing environmental property assessments. So I had… I I did have business vision and business experience beyond just parking cars.
1: Gotcha. But I mean, yeah, you had that experience with them in the past, obviously, and then you had you had gone on to other things. Yeah. Um,
0: and I was the most responsible valet Parker over the three year <laughs> period I worked for him, which meant I showed up and was wearing shoes.
1: Right, 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 <laughs> right. Uh, and the cars didn't disappear. Exactly. Right. So, how'd you feel taking on that? responsibility of like you said 300 direct reports and you're how old you're like in your mid20s mid my mid20s yeah it's it like... is
0: really a key pivotal job in my career path mm. because it was absolute madness so I, I brought in an operations manager I brought in an administrative assistant to help me but imagine 300 Parker seriously and what damage they can do in a, in a in a daily basis so I was constantly in crisis management. Right? My first night when I took over the reins, a car got stolen from a country club that that we managed. So I had to go explain to the manager of the country club. I had to go explain that to the owner of the car. And I was scared to death. There was an instance where I was called in. uh, One of our Parkers wrecked a brand new Chevy Suburban into a tree that was 50 feet off the road. At this event, it was the bride's father who walked out, cowboy, very, very drunk. But that job put me in a position, you know, two or three times a week, maybe even daily, where people are yelling at me, just constantly under attack. But that experience set me up for life to not be afraid of any circumstance in business. It does. You can come and scream at me right in my face. I can be way behind in a sales quote or anything. It doesn't matter. I can handle the pressure. Mm. So in those times, I came up with this concept of, the constant deluge of negativity coming to me, I thought of myself as like a shark, right? I let that power me. I I created what I call the slipstream, where I use that power of negativity coming towards me and I pivot. And every time I make a little pivot, it helps me lunge forward towards my goals.
1: But there had to be some sort of some, someone or something you would lean on when it would get overwhelming because as you mentioned these were crises on a daily or every other day sort of basis yeah. and the average person obviously can't do it but you were you were pushing yourself through it and obviously I'm sure there were days you woke up and you were afraid to go in because of what might happen that day after you fixed what happened the day before and That's was funny. <laughs> it's
0: funny you say that my, my, my toughest times now are the first 15 minutes and just getting myself out of bed I wake up Scared, I still do that from time to time today, really? once my feet hit the floor and I 'm up and I'm in the shower, man, i'm okay, but I'd really rather just stay in bed under the covers
1: <laughs> so, so when you when, can you describe what what that fear is that you say you're scared when you're when you're coming out? what is that fear? Some of
0: it is fear of the unknown, <laughs> some of it is fear of the known, right? My gosh, how am I going to get through this today? It's just a fear of what could go wrong that day and What challenges are going to come? And I may know some challenges that I know are coming, but man, it can be way worse than I think, right? But every day I have to sit up in bed and have that discussion with myself that this fear I'm feeling is not real false emotions appearing real. I'm sure you've heard that acronym for fear. I had to go through that sometimes daily and just walk through it and just know that I'm gonna walk back in the door at 7 p.m. and I'm just gonna laugh at how silly I was in the first 15 minutes of the day. Unfortunately, you know, being in business for 30 plus years, um, sometimes I'm still having that conversation with myself every morning. I'm always doing something that's incredibly uncomfortable because it's gonna take me to the next level. So I set a goal, I set a date and said, I will not even think about doing something else until this date. So maybe two years into this, I'll allow myself to start looking, but I'm in this for three years. And what I'm doing now, I I gave the executive team here a three year commitment, you've got me for three years. I don't know what I'm getting myself into, I don't know how crazy it's gonna be, but I'm gonna do this for three years and we're gonna get to the other side of whatever challenges come up.
1: And then you and, you, and then you pivot into a new challenge. Is that what it is? And then I pivot into a new challenge.
0: And the different things I've done, you go back and look at my LinkedIn profile, it's kind of zigzagged all oh, over yeah. the place, right? It's software business, real estate. I owned a, a recruiting firm for a while. And I also go back and forth between dealing a lot with the general public or managing large teams and, and having very public things to a very private one-person business, right? That gets back to my ADD and my shyness. I want to go back under the covers for a year and get comfortable. And then I'm like, man, I'm really bored sitting in this office by myself. I'm going to go out and do something crazy, you know?
1: With the help of incredible mentors, Chris has found stability in his career. But craving more, he decides to take a huge risk and start his own software development company, all while keeping his day job. As his company starts gaining traction, he realizes the future upside comes down to a life-changing and very scary decision. Leaving his stable sales job and pushing through his ultimate fears to go all in on his dream. That's coming up. I'm Ronnie Gowney and you're listening to Fear is a Liar from Gowney Media. So these days, you spend a lot of your time at Capital Factory as a mentor, uh, mostly guiding young entrepreneurs how to manage and and get going from the ground up. Uh, I'm curious if you had like a similar guidance when when you were going through it. Absolutely. So
0: early on, I had three people that really stand out. The first mentor I really had, very public figure today, his name is Andy Andrews, he's uh, uh, best-selling, uh, New York Times best-selling author. Um, I met him uh, early on through some other friends and he really coached me through the beginnings of my, my business life and was just fantastic. And then when I got into the software business, um, I helped spin up a company called IDERA. And my role there was to build the inside sales organization which became the sales organization. They, they got rid of the outside sales. My piece was the only piece that was working. So really, I built the sales organization for that company for the first two years. I had two mentors. They were the founders of IDERA. Mike Clark and Keith Crewer, great guys. My goal, which I thought was a huge goal at the time, I wanted. they were serial entrepreneurs. I wanted to be the VP of sales for their next business that they were going to spin up. Um, I thought I didn't have the qualifications to be the VP of sales of this startup we were currently in because they were, they were running towards a Series B funding round, and they needed someone who had, who had taken a company from this size beyond. But what these two gentlemen told me was that I could skip that step of being VP sales of their next role, and I could go start my own software company. And I started lots of little businesses. I've been like a micro serial entrepreneur. I'd started this little publishing company and just all kinds of crazy little things, but I'd never done a big company. But they taught me that just based on the knowledge that I already had. I was a master salesman in the the software industry and I could find new markets, I could build sales teams. With that knowledge, I could partner with somebody that knew the technology side and I could start a company from scratch.
1: While you're doing work full-time and and you're doing well at, at your role at IDERA, you start this company. Doesn't it start getting a little bit overwhelming as you're kind of doing both? And what were some of the major struggles and challenges you remember that kind of stressed you out or just made you anxious at that time?
0: Overwhelming is a great descriptor. I was exhausted, and I was a mentor at our church, and the money was very tight because I'm f- we were f- we were funding. funding this new business out of our pocket. Um, we were using uh, offshore developers, and um, I was paying for them out of my pocket, and. There were times when I made the decision, and I remember this one very distinctly, it was Christmas time. money was very short. Um, I had a decision whether to, to buy my son a big Christmas present or to pay the developers the money that I had promised them. And I paid the developers.
1: So about uh, two years after you guys started it in 08, around 2010, you decided to leave and go into Gazang full time. Yeah. This was probably, I think, maybe one of the first times in your career at that point, and you're in your late 30s, almost 40. You have your family established, obviously, and you decide to take the leap and go full-time on your own company. There must have been self-doubt, anxieties, stresses, fear in general to, to do it, even if it was doing well. Could you describe how that was? Scared to death.
0: Mm. <laughs> mm. Um. My co-founder and I knew that to get to the next level, one of us was going to have to walk away from the secure job and go do this full-time. We needed to raise a Series A. We're trying to raise $3.5 million to take it to the next level. No one was going to do that to a job where the two founders are only working part-time. Of course. So the most natural thing would be the guy who has a wife working and no kids would take that leap. That's not what we ultimately decided. (laughs) I had a stay-at-home wife, I had a child, Um, I bought a home a couple of years before, I had more responsibilities, um, and I was ready, man. I'd been preparing for this my whole life. Nobody had to talk me into it. I wanted to go, I wanted to do this. And it was scary as hell, because I didn't have a big savings account. Um, We had enough money in the bank of the company to pay a decent salary. I rented an office, a little one-man office, and uh, but we were pretty sure that we had this Series A funding wrapped up, and we were going to get a term sheet pretty quick. So yes, it was scary, but I had the I, I I knew the deadline on that. I had the end date of that fear, right? I knew within sixty days we were going to close the Series A. So. I'm sitting in my little one-man office. My mentor, Mike Clark, says he wants to come over for lunch. I meet him at the elevator. He's helping me negotiate this deal with the the VC firm in Houston. And uh, the elevator door opens and he walks out and he says, I always believe in putting the turd on the table. You're not gonna get the term sheet the VC firm is backing out. Let's go have lunch and talk about it. (laughs) Like, Oh my gosh, like, I think I should probably go tell my wife right now, but maybe not.
1: Did your heart drop? How would you feel?
0: It was very scary. My heart dropped. My, you know, it's fear. I mean, it was just like I was staring at a lion, you know and everything runs through your mind it's like oh my gosh i did the i i'm so irresponsible i can't believe i put my family in this position I can't believe i put the company in this position and the 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 fear man it just overtakes you i'm sure i turned white
1: yeah it drowns you to yeah. a certain extent right cuz yeah. cuz then all you do is focus on the negatives right you focus on right. the house payment the yeah. bills leaving the job the paycheck's gone and that nothing's ever gonna work.
0: Right, right.
1: Right. But then I train myself, within a few minutes,
0: I'm back in that slipstream that I talked about, right? I get back into thinking, wow, all these negative, it's, this isn't people yelling at me, these are my own thoughts yelling at me, my own emotions coming at my subconscious. And I think, oop, I need to go into that slipstream. I need to use that energy to continue to pivot one way, then the other, and every time I make that pivot, I get the energy to move to the next step. So I had already trained myself to think that. So the fear did not paralyze me, but I kept moving Hmm. knowing that, well, it wasn't the end of the day. I could look back and laugh. It was the end of a a, a two month journey uh, of, of daily fear, but two months went by and we closed the deal, much better terms than I was negotiating with the first VC firm. And I look back and then I can laugh and think, man, not only did I come out the other side I came out with a deal twice as good as I was going to have two months ago I just knew
1: this is what you have to go through to get where you're going it's so true it's it's the suffering of, of just taking in the fear acknowledging it working through it and, and this self awareness that this will pass but You have to experience the pain. And I think a lot of people, regardless of what field or what business or what amount of money they make, it's them acknowledging and understanding that that pain is necessary to grow. Pain may be necessary to grow, but how do you conquer the fear that comes along with that pain? Stick around, because when we come back, Chris offers a unique perspective on taking risks and why he believes the greater your fear is, the greater your freedom will be on the other side. Stay with us. I'm Ronnie Gowney, and you're listening to Fear is a Liar from Gowney Media.
0: You said something that really nails it for me. It's self-awareness. I've been using this process for a couple of years but I didn't really understand it until about a year ago. I read in this book, I think it's called Mind Hacking Happiness. I can't remember the author's name. Killer book. He teaches this methodology of escaping the emotional hellhole that we all get into. And he teaches the self-awareness process and it's don't don't try to hide from the emotion, examine it. What is it that's making you feel like this? So I'm ner- I don't wanna go into this meeting today because I think something as bad is gonna happen. Feel that fear, feel it, let it envelop you. And the more awareness you have of that fear and thinking about what brings it on, it suddenly starts to disappear. Yeah. Because of that self-awareness, you start to realize that fear is something different. It's not me. That's something different. I'm separate from that. And then I can just turn and go the other way and leave that fear right there.
1: Completely. I mean, uh, a perfect example, <laughs> I can say with you alone, uh, I wrote you a letter and asked you if you would join my podcast. And in the past- And pack, we had never met before, you know, we right? had <laughs> never met. We had never touched face. We had, I don't know anyone you know, as far as I know. And I knew you had a very senior position here. But I knew if I read into it, the fear would take over that, like, you know, all the accolades, all the credentials, all the companies that you've been involved in, that it it would just, it would seep in and it would affect, it would actually even affect my research because I would be doubting it because of, it's just like a, a training of the fear throughout your life that you're conditioned with that so-and-so has this status, you have this status, and you need to work through these levels to get to that status, and you probably won't ever get there anyways. It's all this conditioning that I've spent years just working on that self-awareness that none of that is true. It's just right.
0: in your mind. Right. And it's, it's the opposite. You're afraid that people aren't going to respond. But what I found early on in my career is that if you reach out to the people that are really successful they want to help other people get over their fears they will respond they will say yes they will say i help you that's why i came to capital factory seven years ago to become a mentor is because i wanted to help people that were in the situation
1: that i that i got past right so In the midst of all this uh, work that you've done in software development, both in your past career and then leading into your own company that was then eventually built and successfully sold, you you became the go-to expert for helping folks export their software development outside of the U.S. Mm. And it, you got involved in India and Pakistan about 10 plus years ago, and then you've owned software development houses in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, and other parts of Mexico, and even got involved in some business development in Eastern Europe. So how how does that all come about, right? Like it's not, you don't just show up in Mexico or you show up in India and Pakistan and say, oh, I'm just going to put some programmers here together and we're going to do software development. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of different set of challenges to set that up productively in a workflow, obviously out there versus here. So could you tell me how that came about and how it grew to all these different locations and the fears and unknowns that you had to deal with internationally while being here? There was
0: a lot of fear involved in in basically sending your money off to foreign countries and and not knowing what's really happening there.
1: How'd you get over that, huh, so, that
0: hesitation? Yeah. This is funny. I've never been to Guadalajara. <laughs> I've never been to Monterey. We owned a software development house there. I couldn't afford to go there. Because what do you we mean? were we were bootstrapping it all at the time we were putting this together. I couldn't both pay him and buy an airline ticket to go there. So it was all by phone. It was all by Skype. It was all by walking through that fear every day that this is going to be okay.
1: So you're sending all the money you have on the line in order for this thing to function and potentially give you an output to take you to the next step. But you can't even see these people and meet them and, and work through face to face what they plan on achieving for you. That's right. It was
0: all the trust of a friend, knowing that He was not going to steer me wrong. He was a very trusted advisor and uh, just tremendous amount of trust.
1: But but you hear these stories. It's that trusted advisor that goes completely sideways and disappears from the country. You never hear from them again. That happens all the time. But it's that or nothing. My back was
0: up against the wall. Either your dream is over or you walk through the fear and you take the risk and you follow this model. A lot of sleepless nights, but it worked.
1: Mm. Were there days during that time that you remember that— it it just kind of ate at you, that you were just like, what if this just doesn't work and and the money just goes and fades away out there and uh, who knows what happens to it?
0: Yeah, I'd say every day. Every day.
1: (laughs) Mm. Anything you did to kind of cope during that time to kind of ease that, that might have helped? Or anyone you leaned on?
0: I just, I keep keep the vision of of what's at the end of all this, Mm. right? Mm. I wanted to own a real estate portfolio. I wanted to live in a nice house I wanted vacation homes I wanted free time that's what I kept in my mind I kept the prize in my mind the freedom
1: the freedom that's it that's Chris Gillen senior VP of corporate innovation at the capital factory for most startups partnering with a fortune 20 company is only something they could dream of but at the capital factory Chris and his partners are working with the brightest entrepreneurs in Texas, all to help even the smallest new startups play in the big leagues. Chris and many of his partners at the Capital Factory have successfully placed numerous startups in synergistic partnerships with universities, government agencies, and venture funds, not to mention some of the largest corporations out there. We're talking companies like Amazon, Microsoft, IBM, ExxonMobil, and many more with the mindset that a successful partnership is about more than the size of the company or its pocketbook chris and his team at the capital factory are cultivating the ultimate environment of innovation a quick shout out to simon and stephanie who helped me produce the show thank you to my daughter sabrine and our future counties i hope you hear this one day and it provides some value on your journey for our audience. If the show provided a positive takeaway, please subscribe and share with others in your network. Thanks for tuning into Fear is a Liar, where we share how our guests embrace all the fears related to risk, self-doubt, failure, unknowns, what didn't work, and how they dealt with it. Chris Gillen and Ronnie Giani. I'm out.